Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I'm really excited. Next week, I'm actually I'm going to a concert. Now, I, I don't go to a lot of concerts anymore. When Springsteen comes in town, I always see him. But I went to the El Rey with a buddy of mine, Joff, a few weeks ago. And he said, I got this tickets for this group called We Were Promised Jetpacks. I never heard of them, but then I found out that they were in the beginning of the Philadelphia Eagles video. So I was like, all right, I'll go. And the El Rey was a beautiful theater. And as I'm looking at the website, I see this post and... Dennis DeYoung from Styx, which was, I saw them at the Spectrum when I was young in, in Philadelphia, and it, he was I had so many great songs. He was playing there, and the tickets were, there because they want to tape something, the tickets were five bucks. So I'm sitting there going, you know what, I need to get those tickets. Of course, with, with the... Uh, with the service charge, I go to twelve fifty, which is just weird. A ticket from five bucks goes up two and a half times, but twelve fifty. Me and the lovely Joanne are going to go. The holds like five hundred people just to see a. Uh, they're they're legends. Dennis DeYoung and Six Legends. So I'm going to be doing that. So you know, you get, go check out the Sticks. If you don't listen to the Sticks, listen to it. Anyway, enough about me. We have a great guest today. Uh, he's uh, another Chicago. As I said, I had to run a Chicago people, and it's great because it is such a talented town. And uh, and so many people come out here from they go through the Improv and this, uh, Improv Olympic and Second City and stuff like that, and they come and have these uh, great careers. And, and you know all their faces and you see them and everything. We have Mike Haggerty. How you doing, Mike? I'm good. How are you doing, Steve? Good, good. So uh, you're you're grew up in Chicago. You're, you're you're from Chicago, right? I'm born and raised in Chicago. Yeah. The far south side. Now, uh, you Cubs or a uh, White Sox fan? Well, I was raised a White Sox fan. You know, my father was a Cub fan, though. He was on the west side. Actually, I was born on the west side, which kind of gives me the opportunity to be for any team I want. But uh, my first baseball game and everything else was out at uh, the old Comiskey Park. And so that was sort of branded into me. Um, I, but I love the Cubs, too. I mean, you know, I'm not one of those people that, uh, that has to be one way or the other. I mean, you know, we don't have a lot of victories. As far as baseball goes in Chicago, so I sort of take what we can get, you know. So then we haven't had one for the Cubs since 1908, and the White Sox won in 2005, you know, which is a little more recent, you know. So and then 1959, when I was a kid, they won the pennant, you know. So that was uh, that was very impressionable upon me. I mean, the, the town went crazy. Well, it's funny. Chicago is sort of like Philadelphia. The fans are just diehard. Of course, for us, yeah. the Eagles have never won a Super Bowl, and you know the Bears have won. And are you a big football fan? Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, I, I've held on to my Chicago. I live here in Los Angeles now, but I've held on to my Chicago loyalties as far as sports teams go, so particularly with football. That's uh, very easy to do because it's not a professional team out here. You know, so I get the Directv Sports package and follow all the games, and I'll probably buy the Blackhawks now. You know, and towards the end of the season and. Uh, the Bulls, I mean, they didn't had a nice uh, game against Miami the other day, you know, and uh, they're looking exciting. You know, they when they want to win, they're, they're, they, they, they put everything on the line, they can do it, you know, so it's exciting. So growing up in Chicago, yeah. You know, of course, as I said, I think it's like in Philadelphia, everyone becomes a sports fan. But as a kid, what did you ever think you would be have this acting career? Like as a kid, were you, were you an entertaining kid? Were you a funny kid? Or did you watch TV? Did you like watch certain shows that influenced you on TV? I thought there were a lot kids that were a lot funnier than I was. You know, I remember a friend of mine, Dan Ryan. I mean, he actually, the name of the, the of the, uh, the expressway he was quite funny. I uh, yeah, I you know, I mean, I always had these thoughts, and I always got into trouble. I uh, went to a Catholic high school uh, on the far south side, Marist High School, and uh, I couldn't keep myself from making comments. I just couldn't stop it. I mean, if something would happen or something struck me as being funny, I would turn to somebody and make that comment, and uh, consequently I spent a lot of time in detention. You know, not for anything really bad, but just sort of talking out of turn, you know, when you're not supposed to be uh, going, you know. But um, it uh, certainly got me into, like, you know, being in the moment and commenting, and it got me into a lot of trouble, too. 
So in high school, did you do any acting at all? Or did you play sports? Or yeah, you know, I was uh, I wasn't a great athlete. I was on the swim team. I still swim, uh, which is re- I'm really glad my father taught me how to swim at a very young age. And you know, but uh, uh, yeah, I did some you know intramural sports. Uh, and uh, then in my junior year, I was kind of lost and didn't know what I was going to do. And I auditioned for a play. Uh, it was "Don't Drink the Water" by Woody Allen. It was the first one. And I had a, the, the tiniest part in the play, and uh, but uh, it, it sort of opened my eyes to a whole different world. First of all, I was an all-boys school, and the girls would come to uh, play the roles. So, you know, you'd see females walking around, which you didn't see there. Now the, now the school is co-ed. And then the second play I did was the Fantastics, and I had to um, go out and sing Try to Remember in the top of the show. So from one line to 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 being the lead in the show, and it was you know uh, you know quite a contrast, but but it worked out well, and I got the bug, and um, I pursued it into college. Where'd you go to college at? Uh, University of Illinois in Chicago. Now you were an acting major or a theater? Yeah, major? yeah. I, I didn't know you could do that. You know, they never told me that in high school. We had counselors and stuff, and you know, I mean, we're, I came from a pretty blue collar area of the city, um, Mount Greenwood, uh, Morgan Park, Beverly is the area. And they really, acting wasn't, I mean, if you weren't smart enough to go to law school or maybe try to get into Notre Dame or something like that, you were very, very happy to get a job as a policeman or a fireman uh, somewhere working for the city. Uh, so that was kind of, you know, what you what, what you sort of went to. Or you could go to college, you know, and the, back then liberal arts were still quite, uh, but I was, I think I'm the first person besides my aunt, she became a nurse. To graduate from college, you know, uh, in you know here, well for all time because my grandparents emigrated from Ireland. So, um, anyways, I um, uh, what did I do? Um, you know, I, I got into it in college and uh, and sort of blossomed there. And then I also was my lead because I went to Taylor Street, which is closer to downtown. Uh, and uh, met Jim Belushi there, uh, who was uh, trying to finish off his degree at, uh, I think, Southern Illinois, uh, maybe Eastern. And anyways, he was taking some classes, and he mentioned that he was in the touring company over at Second City. Now, I had heard of Second City, but I didn't really know what it was. And so I went over and saw him on a Monday night, and uh, that's when I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So when I know when you go to Second City, you had to start taking classes from them. Is that how you work up into the uh, progression? Yeah, it wasn't so complicated when I was there. You know, it was, you know, I mean, you know, they were hitting, you know, Saturday Night Live had just hit. Uh, Second City TV hadn't aired yet. Uh, it, it was a well-known place and well-known in the industry, but it wasn't, you know, it was just, you know, hitting its stride. I mean, you know, uh, Belushi wasn't a huge star yet. Dan Aykroyd, uh, Gilda Radner, of course, Bill Murray. They all came from there, but I mean, they were you know they were young in their careers too, you know. So, anyways, it was. I, but I could tell that it was the place to be. It was certainly the place to be in Chicago. Yeah, you could. I had to be practical about it because um, you, you had. You, I sort of look at it, you know, sort of uh, like where are the people getting hired from, you know, and and also the uh, the improvisation was, uh, you know, which was at the same time scary yet somehow freeing too, you know. So. I got involved uh, over there and started taking some classes, and some things went well, and I sort of came up. But there was no levels back then; it was just simply uh, a workshop. And if they liked you in the workshop, they put you in one of the touring companies. And that's sort of my, my what happened to me. I I must have done something correct in the workshops, 
um, somebody noticed me and said, listen, you want to, actually, Del Close asked me at one point, he said, uh, what are you doing Saturday? And I said, well, what are you, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not, I mean, I, I was working, but I decided, well, you know, and he goes, well, I'll forget it. And he sort of walked away and I sort of pursued him. And I said, why? Well, well what, uh, what, what's going on Saturday? He goes, oh, well, we got a kid coming in from Canada and I just need some uh, warm body to, to work off him or to for the audition so i said yeah I'll, I'll you know so i cleared my schedule and came in and auditioned and that uh they came out and they said we're going to hire both of you and that fellow that i was auditioning with was john capelos right he had he had said the story a few weeks ago how you yeah. guys both uh there was only one spot there was only one spot but you guys yeah. both did so well that they took both of you in which is which must be right then must be awesome because it's it goes from being like a competition to like, okay, we're comrades now. Yeah. We're, we're in it together. Well, I think it took a lot of the pressure off me because, I mean, I didn't think I was auditioning for a job. And maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. I didn't know. you know. But, but I was told that there was only one position. And they were looking at this kid that was coming in from Toronto, uh, John. So, you know, I was just there. And I guess I probably put me in a position that makes you look best, too, is that I was supporting him. You know, so I was trying to make him look good because I thought he was the fellow that was up for the job. And... In doing that, and that's true today too, is if you know you're trying to make somebody else look good, uh, you're going to look good. So that's that's one of, one of the things about improvisation is try to make your partner look as good as they as you possibly can. Now, with the improv, I mean, was it just uh, en- enjoyable for you when you started doing it? Was it something where you said, "Okay, man, I really want to keep doing this"? I, uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, you know, we when I was back at the University of Illinois, we were doing this thing called this module system. And I had never improvised, but we were doing this thing, uh, and we were going up through the ages. Like, you started with the Greeks, and you went to the Romans, and you went on uh, to the Middle Ages. And uh, during that whole period, uh, there was a period when plays weren't being written, but they were still being performed. Uh, you know, so in other words, that was Commedia dell'arte, which uh, I didn't really understand was actually the basis they used of the Compass Players. And uh, to, they used that historically to model the, uh, the first improvisation in, in, in the modern times, anyways. But Commedia dell'arte was, a, you know, was something the Italians did, and they did it from town to town, and they had the stock characters, and they just played these different roles. And they would go somewhere, and, and the audience would expect certain behavior from the characters, which is very much what they do with Second City, you know, because I mean, when you come out and you have a certain, they say you have a construction hat on or something like that, they expect a certain behavior from that person. And so... So anyway, Second City was, was, was connected to that, and but I was learning this in, in, in school, and we were improvising and just doing what they called lazzis, which are basically, I think, is the Italian word for scene. And uh, I had a flair for it. I mean, you know, I didn't, didn't quite realize it, you know, but I just did. They asked us to, you know, they would give us suggestions and ask us to make scenes up at the top, you know, in the scenes. And uh, I sort of excelled at that, you know, so, so then... The logical progression after meeting Jim and Jim telling me that he was over at Second City and going to see that there's actually something about two miles away from where I was standing that was, uh, at the time, the improvisational you know hub of the world. It just sort of all fell into place. So you do that, and you start working. Now, you go into touring, you go into the touring uh, company? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And now, then do you go to the main stage? Yeah, pretty much. We had another company called the Chateau Louise Company, which was out in uh, West Dundee. And worked out there, but uh, I stayed in the touring company. Uh, I hadn't been anywhere, you know. I mean, I really hadn't. I mean, in, in the Midwest, I uh, the first time I saw an ocean was when uh, we were working with the the touring company in New Jersey. 
What part of which? Which would you remember? Which uh, town? Uh, yeah, it was where you know around where Springsteen and those. Asbury. Of, no, yeah, I grew up yeah, in New Jersey. So yeah, that's true. Because there was a girl that uh, Mary Wender, Ruby Streak. She was a piano player with us, and uh, we went there, and that was her old stopping grounds. And so we, you know, hit the beach there, and uh, you know, I said, "Is that the ocean?" And uh, Joyce Sloan, I love Joyce Sloan. She, she said, uh, "That's the, that's the ocean, Mike." You know, so I just w- got out of the van and just ran right into it, and uh, yeah, it was, it, you know, it was. A real uh, emotional experience for me. It's weird because you know when I, I grew up ten minutes from Philadelphia, and the right. ocean was an hour away. Right. You, you don't really, we don't really think about it. There's a lot of people when they live in the Midwest, they don't get to see the ocean. No, we, we take no. it for granted. It's like, oh, we bitch. Oh, it's an hour drive with traffic. Oh, take an hour and a half. Even here, like you know where we live, we live near each other. Yeah, Santa Monica is only twenty two miles, but we never go. I never go to the beach, and I'm like everyone who says, oh, do you go to the beach a lot? I'm like. No, it's twenty-two miles, and we just take it for granted. For some people, that well, never we see it. We spent a lot of time at the beach, you know, but uh, but it was the lake, you know, and and it, for all intents and purposes, when you're standing on the shore, Lake Michigan in Chicago, Lake Michigan looks like an ocean, and it's not salty. But I, I'd never been out to the East Coast, you know, so I mean, I never, and certainly hadn't gone to to California. So I mean, that was the, you know, I mean, yeah, and and you and you you you, you do take it for you know, it's always usually. When somebody comes to town and they're visiting, you know, and they want to see something, that's when you run them down to the ocean, or as we used to do in Chicago, take them to the beach. It's so funny if you go to Santa Monica; it's just such a different beach. I'm sure in, in when you go to the beach in Chicago and in New Jersey, but you go to Santa Monica. And I guess maybe I just haven't been to the beach for a while, but it's amazing. People are like bringing like pizzas on the beach and stuff that you never you never see. That maybe probably in Chicago you take sandwiches to the beach, or you know, but you don't sit there or you bring. But I just I've never seen people I, with pizza on the I, beach. I, I took mostly liquor to the beach when Wait. I was you know we uh, we'd uh, or we'd inject uh, fruit with, uh, with with vodka or something you know to you know but. You know, Chicago, yeah, yeah, we, uh, you know, we, you wouldn't, yeah. There was so much, you know. There, there was always something near the beach where you could get some food. Uh, yeah, somebody would set up a hot dog, hot dog stand, or a hot dog wagon, or something like that. I can't imagine bringing a, uh, a pizza down to the beach. You know, I mean, it just, gets you know, me sick. It's like all the sand. It's yeah. like you can sit all it's all and get the crap in there. So right. you're doing a tour and you're doing yeah. in Chicago, right? Okay. Now, when do you start getting acting work? I know your first role was Doctor Detroit. Now, is that cast yeah. out? Because what I haven't known, and what I've known from talking to Chicago guests, is there was a lot of stuff getting cast and shot in Chicago. I mean, there's a lot of shows. So as an actor, I mean, you could get auditions and get acting work in Chicago. There is now, you know, and there was then too, but the, you know, uh, the, and I noticed that with Chicago Fire and Chicago PD, which are shooting now in Chicago, that the, they're hiring a lot of local people and using them. The talent's there, you know, and plus you don't have to, Give them per diem or pay for the room and board. You know, I, uh, you know, it's it's a wise thing for them to do. A lot of things that came into Chicago when I was there, um, most of the speaking roles would have been cast somewhere else, and they would come into town and then they would fill it in with the with the local people. But that's uh, that's that's changed a few years ago. Uh, it was a friend of mine, Ron Dean, who never really left Chicago. He was able to make uh, uh, a living there and. More and more actors can do that. I mean, you know, uh, it's not a lot. You know, mostly you have to go somewhere. It's a funny town in that respect. I mean, you know, um, you have to sort of go somewhere and do something and then come back in order to, you know. But some people can do it, and now with these new TV shows, more and more people are staying and doing great jobs on these uh, on the shows and then the movies. But uh, in Dr. Detroit, yeah, I, I think that was probably my first time on screen. And uh, that was a Dan Aykroyd movie, and Dan had come to see us at the Second City, 
Uh, I had met Dan when they were in town uh, shooting the Blues Brothers. Actually, I was met him when they were in town uh, uh, doing some location work, trying to find places to shoot for the Blues Brothers. And then we hung out when they were shooting the Blues Brothers. And then after that was, I believe, Dr. Detroit. And uh, he was kind enough to, I th- I'm pretty sure he had something to do with it, you know, to, to get me a speaking role in it. What was that like? I mean, all of a sudden you're sitting there, you know, you were, you were in the stage in Illinois, you're doing Second City, and now you're like, and Ackroyd was huge. So it's like, yeah. what was it like? You're, you're this kid from Chicago, and you're like, wow, I'm in, a, I'm in a movie. It must have been an amazing feeling for you. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, there was, I remember, you know, the scene, and, you know, it was just one line. Uh, there was an actor named George Firth who was in the scene with me, and uh, he was a playwright and uh, a really nice guy. I think he had some connection to Second City, although I don't think he was in one of the companies, but he was there. And we're shooting in Hyde Park, and he was just, you know, just great to me. I mean, he really was terrific. I mean, he, I had one line like, you know, uh, come with me, buddy, or something like that. And and I just said it, and you know, and and uh, but he was very complimentary in saying that I did it, I did it that I was really doing it well. Now, he's, he might have been kidding, you know, he might have just been, but it was supportive and it meant a lot to me as a, as a young actor. So now if I get the opportunity, if I haven't forgotten it, I, I, I try to encourage people when they're working, if they don't have much to do, I just tell them, you know, pat them on the shoulder and say, nice job, that was great, you did a good job with that. So you sit there, you get Dr. Detroit, and then I see you have some other movies, and then when do you decide to move to L.A.? When when does that happen? I mean, you're you're getting some work. You're in Chicago. When do you come out here? Yeah, well, we were shooting um, in or we were working in Chicago on the main stage, and uh, Gary Marshall came through town and he was shooting Nothing in Common, and uh, he hired a lot of us from the main stage and from the uh, stage called ETC, which had just recently opened uh, behind Second City. It was also a Second City production, but it was just uh, like a second stage, and they did great work. And he looked at both shows and. Uh, Tapped a few of us on the shoulder and uh, hired us uh, for uh, Nothing in Common, which starred Jackie Gleason and Tom Hanks. And that's where I got to know Gary. And so we did that, and that took place in an advertising agency. We all got a chance to improvise and stuff. And then my next thing that happened was Gary's next movie, I think right after that, was uh, Overboard. And uh, he brought me an audition for that, and I auditioned for that. And, you know, what happens is, is you find yourself spending less and less time in Chicago and more and more time out in Los Angeles and uh, eventually the decision is kind of made for you you know so so uh, I left Chicago and uh, yeah, and d- came out and did overboard and then sort of went back and packed things up and uh, moved out to uh, Los Angeles where was your first place you lived at uh, well, the, well, the first place I lived at lived at was uh, another second city alumni so she was in New York doing shows Audrey Neenan I stayed at her apartment over in Los Feliz, and then I also did my stint at the uh, at the Oakwood, you know. So right yeah. here in Burbank, yeah, the Heart- Heartbreak Hotel over there. That yeah. oh, it's so yeah. funny. There's a uh, uh, there's a documentary about that. Is there? There and should I be. Just, yeah. and it's amazing because they show during pilot season, like how these families just they move their kids out and they come in and like you see some of these kids and they're just awful. I mean, I yeah. hate to, you hate to say it, but they're just like. And the mother, you know, it's like the, I think like this one lady was so annoying. I think the husband was just like, yeah, just go. Just don't come back. Just stay there, you know. And they come and they go and they do the auditioning. And then they come back every year. And people, if you don't know, Oakwood is, is right up here in Burbank. It's like right. it's, this hu- it's a huge complex. Like when you're driving down Olive, which becomes Barham, 
you don't you can't tell how big it is but i heard it's like no it's it, like go, it goes back forever it's crazy yeah. yeah i mean there's wildlife back there. there's deer and coyote and you know i mean it, it, it goes on forever you know you can get you can get lost there i mean you know yeah and, and it's a great place to have for something like this i mean there used to be actually be what they called pilot season i guess it kind of goes year round now but it used to be around february around this time uh, of year maybe a little bit earlier and that's when they supposedly shot all the pilots you know but now that things come on in the summer and they come on in the winter and everything else so there's it's not quite that but i mean but it's you know you know i did my time at the oakwood you know like 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 a lot of actors it's funny they should they should have like on the wall like oakwood alumni because there'd probably be so many oh everybody's been i there. mean everyone's yeah. been there and then also i mean i think a lot of you know people are going through a divorce and things like that you know you all of a sudden one day the guy finds himself over at the oakwood it's all furnished and you can you know and you can sort of like uh, get as many amenities as you want, as a, depending upon how much you want to pay, and it's on a month-to-month basis. So it's perfect for some people. So you move out here to LA, and now how are, how are you acclimating to it? Because you, as you said, you were, you hadn't been anywhere, and then you go to a touring company, and now you're here on the West Coast, and LA is so spread out. Like, and you lived in Chicago, so Chicago is a city. I mean, right. I got an argument with a guy this the other night. He's like, "Oh, yeah, well, LA is the biggest city," but LA is not really a city. I mean, right. it's it's a vast suburb. You know, what did you acclimate well out here, or were you sitting there going, "Wait, man, I, I like the, everything close, like Chicago." Yeah, I was, you know, I don't know, I guess, uh, you know, the trick to L.A. is just not to expect it to be what you what you had, you know. I mean, it's not New York, it's not Chicago, it's not Philadelphia, it's Los Angeles, you know. And, you, and once you appreciate that, you know, and once you, once you kind of stop kicking and screaming, you know, it's uh, it can be quite nice and, and quite normal as far as I'm concerned, you know. I, you know, uh, I still have family and stuff that's, you know, we, we refer to Los Angeles as Holly Weird and shit, like, you know. Like I'm, uh, can, can we use language on this? Show? Just no. don't know right, F-bombs. Right, yeah, right, okay, fun. right, yeah, you know. You can say crap. Yeah, Maybe right, okay, crap, yeah, you know. But, I mean, I have people referring to to Los Angeles as, uh, uh, you know, as Holly Weird and stuff. And it really kind of uh, annoys me because, I mean, it, it, if you want to live a normal life out here, you, you certainly can. If you, yeah. want to, if you want to get involved in drugs, if you want to get in, you know, or, 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 or nightlife or clubs or anything like that, you can do that too, but it's kind of a choice. But if you want to just be, you know, sort of like, you know, a regular person and just uh, you know go out and have a nice dinner and a nice bottle of wine and stuff. It's easy to do here, oh, yeah. and, and millions and millions of people do it every day. If people ask, "Oh, did you see stars?" It's like, yeah, but when you see stars here, you don't think it's like, oh yeah, you know, it, it's not right. like anywhere else. It's, you're right, and it's like, and the thing about you know, if you want to go do drugs, do the nightlife, you can do that anywhere. I mean, right. you know, I, I watch Dateline, and I watch sure, these shows, yeah. and you see these all these crazy crimes at these drug, you know, you can do it anywhere in the country. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I watched the local news from back in Chicago, WGN, and you know, and you know, I mean, it's everything is everywhere. You know, I don't know there is such a thing as, as, as normal anymore. You know what I mean? It's, uh, doesn't, the, the term probably doesn't apply. So you move out here, and you've had you know, some stuff under your belt. Now, do you start auditioning right away, or is it a long process for you to get an agent, or how does that happen? No, I was very lucky. You know, uh, I came out here with my union cards. You know, uh, I got the union cards both SAG and AFTRA uh, in Chicago. Uh, that's very important, you know. I mean, people come out here and, the, you know, I mean, it's hugely important today that because uh, agents can't handle you or send you out for work unless you're in the union. And you can maybe work non-union, but, you know, you, you know you're not going to uh, get any benefits or health care and, you know. So, so I mean, to come out here with, with, with the cards and also with an agent. I was with the Gettys Agency for years, uh, Ann Gettys. She's wonderful, and Elizabeth. Uh, great people, but they had an office in Chicago, and they also had an office out here in uh, 
in Los Angeles. So I came out here with an agent, a job, and my union cards. You know, so I was really, you know, I mean, unfortunately, unfor- I didn't have to do any of the any anything else. I sort of came out and went from one job to the other and was making a living at it. You know, so I didn't have to do any of the waiter stuff or construction or you know, I wouldn't have been any good at any of those things anyways you know but uh, but I was I was fortunate so I mean I, I tell people like if you can get your cards if they offer you um, a union card take it you know because I mean you might be able to make some money in non-union which won't make a living and you certainly won't be building for your future well, you're doing a lot of shows. I see on your resume. It's a very nice resume. You know, you're doing movies. I got something I married an axe murderer. But then yeah. you're doing serious stuff like the Star Trek. You're doing. You're going back and forth. What are you finding more happiness in doing, the comedy or the drama, or are you loving both of them? Well, I like them both. You know, I mean, you know, the the cliche is that that that, that comedy is hard. You know, uh, I I guess sometimes it, and it is it is. You know, because I mean, you have to you know, and uh, but I really enjoy doing the dramatic stuff too. And they. And uh, I've been allowed to do a little bit of both, you know. So uh, comedy probably takes a little more, you know. Uh, I, if it's well written, it's it's it, it's fun to do, you know, uh, funny or or dramatic. But uh, I've been hired mostly for comedy, but uh, and I, you know, so I I I, I like them both. What was it like working on Seinfeld? I know you're in an episode of Seinfeld, which you yeah. still, it's, it's, I see, because Seinfeld's on so much out here. You yeah. see that episode at least once every three months. What was that like? Because well, it was such a big show. Yeah, Seinfeld was great, you know. I'm, you know, it was, it was terrific. You know, I, I, I knew Julia Louis Dreyfus uh, back in Chicago. Uh, she was in one of the touring companies that, uh, that I directed. And uh, so it was nice to see her doing so well. Um, Larry David was great. You know, he hired me again for Curb Your Enthusiasm later on, so that means that I gave him what he wanted on uh, on Seinfeld, and I also I also I think I gave him what he wanted in uh, uh, in, in Curb Your Enthusiasm too. Uh, it was great. You know, I mean, I got to say, you know, it was a very, very nice experience. I was lucky to be in a. a, a it's it split up now when they show it, but it was a one hour episode and. Uh, of the show, it was the one that uh, involved Schindler's List, and and I guess in the B plot we were I was Rudy at Rudy's uh, clothing store, and uh, George's father was trying to sell. I mean, this sounds convoluted, and it is convoluted. Was trying to sell something, uh, some kind of old no, it was the Caba- Cabana wear. That's oh, yeah. what it was. Yeah, it was Cabana wear. You know, and 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 it was the the the, the thing was all the scenes were all over the place. They always had a. A and a B story, and and uh, what they do is uh, eventually these two stories come together at, at the very end somehow, and uh, so it, it was a, a great experience, and we shot it, and of course in front of a live audience, and and uh, working with them at that time, the show was a big hit, and it was it was it was a big deal, it was great. Now you're also on the George Carlin show, which yeah. is you know as a comic, you know Carlin was you know. I remember I used to one of the first albums I bought was Toledo Window Box, which I had right. no idea what a Toledo Window Box was. Right. My parents didn't know. I think they just thought, oh, there's, I don't think they knew what pot was. They said, like, oh, it's a funny guy on a shirt. You know, and I, I never, it's so funny how people now talk about, like, I never, that never influenced me to smoke pot. I laughed more at the way he said, boneless ham, you know, and, and it's like, and that's why when people say, oh, well, don't buy the album, it's going to make the kid crazy. I was listening to albums about people smoking pot when I was in Seventh grade, oh, yeah. and I, mean, I had no idea. Uh, well, you must have went through the Cheech and Chong phase oh, and all yeah. that stuff and everything. Oh, yeah. And it never, yeah. it never affected us. Yeah, we, but, but now, was that your first uh, series as a regular with the Carlin Show? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I might have done uh, some short-lived things like uh, 
Bonnie Hunt's show or something like that, the building or something. It was right around that that same time. Um, but yeah, that was great. I mean, that, that was something that, uh, that that really worked out well for me. It was a in the pilot. I think it was just called Barfly. Was the guy you know? So and actually named the guy. They uh, named the guy Frank McNamara uh, because it was the name of the janitor at our grade school, you know. And so they had to give it. I had to come up with a name. So you know, and I said, well, I don't know Frank. I wanted to call him Frank McFadden, which would have been my uncle. But they do these legal checks, you know, and on names. And I guess apparently there was a Frank McFadden in New York that you know that they, they couldn't clear or something like that. I never knew that. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't even know if they bother anymore, you know, because I mean they used to. They used to do a lot of stuff where, like, you wouldn't even show any, you know, but now they just show brand names and everything else, you know. So, you know, so I wanted to name the character Frank McFadden after my uncle. But uh, they said no. So I said, well, Frank McNamara then. You know, Frank was the the uh, janitor at St. Cadgett School, and I used to help him out. And I helped him out, you know, for a little bit of pay, basically do his job, I guess, you know, years ago. But, um, yeah, so they, they were, you know, Carlin, Carlin's show was, was really great. And it started out as a one, one or two lines in the pilot, and I did all the episodes. I mean, they hired me, and then about halfway through, they offered me a deal. But otherwise, I was just uh, being a guest star. But just being around those people, Alex Rocco and and Tony Stark and uh, George. You know, I mean, and George had his extended family there, his brother Patrick. I mean, it was really a job where I, I hated the, to see the weekends come. We shot Monday through Friday. And I hated to see Saturday and Sunday come because I wasn't going to see these people for a couple of days. I mean, we really were crazy about each other. And that's where I met Sam Simon, and, uh, you know, he was the producer on the show. And, I mean, it was a job that, you know, I mean, I, I, I really, really, really loved those people. It was really terrific. And, unfortunately, I think it only lasted a, a season and a half or something like were that. Were you a Carlin fan or not? Yeah, I, I certainly appreciated what he did. I became, you know, but, I mean, I, uh, he was so terrific, you know, I mean, a lot of people think that he was a curmudgeon or something like that, but that was just his persona. I mean, the the guy was the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet, and and loyal, and he would uh, really stand up for you know for what what he believed in and stuff. And he wasn't very happy at the show because they were holding them in, you know. I mean, they're they're trying to take a round peg and put it into a square hole, or whatever, or, you know. And uh, you know, it, it wasn't a happy time for him to be there, you know, but. But you wouldn't know that from the show and from the the people that we worked with. You know, we were we weren't privy to all that information, which is cool. You know, because I mean, you know, a lot of things are going on under the surface of a, of a show. Uh, you're hired as an actor, and you, you know, maybe you don't want to know what's going on if the producer and the star are having troubles or things like that. Sometimes it's better for the performers not to be kept away from that. Yeah, I think it can make more more of a stressful situation when you when you can feel the tension. Like it's one thing if you act, you think you might feel tension, but then if you hear the backstory and you know there's tension, then it, well, it throws it, you off. It certainly stifles your creativity, you know. And, and we and what was really kind of cool about that was you know because I'm an improviser, uh, and and a lot of times you know, you don't find things until you're in the moment, and we would find things in rehearsal. And they were pretty open to allowing those things to get into the show if they were good, you know. The the problem is that you just can't do that solely, you know. But you know, but uh, every once in a while you can get a joke in, and they would uh, say, "All right, we're going to use that. We're going to you know we're gonna go with that." When a season, when the show gets canceled as an actor, is it? Do you go into worry mode, or because you, you're used to that 
check. You're used to the surroundings, used to people, but then you have to know you have to go out and audition again. Now, you had a good body of work, so you, of course you get work. But do, do you go through moments where you're, you, you get self-doubt? You're like, oh, man, I wish this season. I mean, I wish the show kept going because then you're on, you know, Gravy Street. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I would have loved to have had a show that went for like seven or eight years, you know, and, you know, I, yeah, but that, that wasn't in the cards, you know. But I don't know, you know, you sort of... Uh, you, you hope for that. That would be an ideal situation, but it really wasn't changing too much. I don't think. I don't think you know, the steak could be any better or the beer would be any colder. You know, it's uh, it's it's just sort of where you're at. You know, but th- that's the thing about this business, though, is that you never know what tomorrow may hold. You know, right. As long as you're still working, as long as you're still in the game, uh, the phone could ring and and uh, it could be you know exactly what you're meant to be doing. So you're doing movies, you're doing TVs, and then, then Friends comes along. Right. And so were you on from season one in Friends? Did you start at the very beginning? Or no, I came it, in later. And it was yeah. a, it was yeah, but a it was, big it hit was, then. It was earlier, yeah. Okay. you know, They uh, they brought me in. Uh, the first episode was uh, uh, when he- uh, the one where Heckles dies. Uh, you know, the, every one of the Friends episodes was, uh, was the one where, or the one with, you know. So this one was the one where Heckles dies. Now, Heckles is played by... Larry, Jesus, uh, I'm blanking on his last name. Um, come to me, but anyways, he was uh, the the upstairs neighbor, and uh, I was the superintendent. And I had a couple of lines where you know where the, after they find his body, um, I, I had to you know to had to exchange with the with the kids. So, anyways, you know that worked out well. And then the second episode they brought me in for was the one episode that everybody remembers for, for me, anyways. Was this called the one with ballroom dancing, where I played the the super? I was a super in the first one too. There, where they established the character, and they really they gave me you know half the episode. It was about uh, Joey teaching uh, Mr. Traeger how to uh, how to dance, you know, because he wants to go to the uh, superintendent's ball, you know. So you know. So, anyways. That's the one that everybody remembers, and, and then there was like three more after that that were just you know scenes where I was progressing the action of the show. Now, were you were you are you a good dancer? Were, have, I mean, no, no, I got to tell you, Matt LeBlanc was was so kind to me because you know I was supposed to look like I'm leading because he's supposed to you know, but he was he was really in control of that dance, and it was very very kind. I mean, you know, and I start if I started going off, all of a sudden you just feel him just you know correcting my course and made me look really good. You know, maybe you know. Maybe looked like I knew what I was doing, you know, and uh, and you know we only shot that a couple of times, you know, but you know, and but yeah, I gotta say, you know, he was, uh, they all were terrific. He, but uh, I worked most with Matt, and he was very giving, very kind. Now that show was watched by so many people. Friends had such a big following. When yeah, Pat- it's a big hit, you know, over in Ireland and in England. I mean, huge. That's why they went over and did a, a storyline over there, you know. But, after that show, when the dancing, the ballroom one, did people start rec- start recognize? Or had people recognize you before on the street, or did did more people recognize you after that? Actually, like, hey, you know, because it's always when you see someone on a series, yeah. you know, and because you do you do a lot of roles, so people go, oh, I know that guy from this. But then something like a Friends comes on, and you have this part where you're learning to dance with Matthew LeBlanc. It must mean people must recognize you. Well, right you away. know, it's real. It's weird. You know, you were talking. We were talking about people and rec- recognizing earlier. Um, I don't, you know, when I'm here in Los Angeles or, you know, hang, hanging around and stuff, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of people maybe because they, they see so many people and, and uh, that are in the business, it's not a big deal to them, or maybe they just have uh, developed uh, a certain behavior, you know, when they see somebody. 
But when I go outside of Los Angeles and even to New York and places like that, you get recognized and you get re- and people are much more excited about seeing you because they don't see people on television all the time, you know. And uh, and that happens here, and also it's happened a couple times over in Europe, you know. And just uh, people just recognize you from it, you know, and they're very excited to see you. And you have to kind of, you know, everybody should try to realize that, you know, that they, you know, they're not they're, for the most part they're not trying to be. Uh, to accost you or anything, but it just doesn't happen to them every day, you know. And 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 they 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 it means a lot more to them, obviously, than it means to you. So it's just uh, kind of get something that I try to tell myself is to, you know, remember that it that it, that it means a lot more to them than you know than me. So you're you're acting around, and then you're unlucky, Louis. Now, right. the, the lucky Louis was so funny because it was a very good show, but yeah. I think at the time. It was just different, and it, I mean, it was what eight, nine years ago, eight years ago, I think. Eight, I think it was two thousand six. So yeah, eight yeah. years ago, and Louis, and from being a comic, you know, people, we all know who Louis C.K. was, and then a lot of people don't know is Louis was was writing for Chris Rock, you know, he directed Pootie Tang, he was a, right. uh, and he was a good, solid act, and he was, you know, and now he's a phenomenon, which he was always. It's just it's weird how timing is. When Lucky Louis came out, and I think Jimmy Norton was in that. Little yeah, Jimmy Norton too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, Rick Shapiro. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Rick's crazy. He was on here. He's yeah. great. I, he's he's a great guy. He's just. <laughs> yeah. I, we both have heart issues, and he still smokes. I saw. His, I was walking to a gig one time. Someone was. I sitting there going, dude, because I quit when I got to the hospital. I said, dude. Right. I said, stop. You know, you you can't smoke. But you're doing lucky now. What was Louis to like to work with? Because he just seemed like a really cool cat. Just because he was a comic and he's a writer, and I don't think he ever wanted to be at this level that he is. I think he would have just been happy kicking around in the clubs, yeah. doing a show, creating it. What was that like? Because he also uh, wrote the show, right? Uh yeah, he was, it was certainly you know had hands on. You know, there were there were writers on that show. You know, uh, a lot of it was uh, trying to uh, to to take parts of his stand-up act and and sort of turn them into episodic stuff you know which is which is tough it's a tough thing to do you know i mean there are two different things you know stand-up and episodic television uh so he uh yeah i mean he you know he he was very much involved there was a writing staff it was much more structured um i know what i think he was trying to do and uh, it succeeded you know he learned a lot on that show. You know, he learned that he didn't want to have a writing staff. He didn't want to have uh, the corporate uh, overview. You know, and and I think that his deal was, and I, you know, we, you know, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I think he basically said uh, that that if you give me a certain amount of money and I'll I'll deliver a show to you. That's what he learned uh, to, on a show. A Showtime, I think, isn't it? Is it Showtime or? Uh, show now yeah, is yeah. FX. FX, right? Yeah, that's what he. Yeah, that's what, I, uh, what he. I think he believe he, he said the FX was like you know, uh, get, I, uh, here's a budget for my show and I will deliver a show to you. Um, and Lucky Louie, uh, it was much more of a corporate situation. Now, F, now HBO is a very loose corporation. They try to give you as much creative control as they as they possibly can, but there's still a certain structure to it and uh, and I think that he wanted to do something and it uh, it worked but he learned so much from that I believe that his next show the, the one that is on F- FX now Louis uh, just took off you know and 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 that's that's really all him you know there I mean you know he 
I'm surprised he doesn't do craft service for it. I mean, he you know he does everything on the show, <laughs> you know, and, you know, edits, uh, writes it, you know, uh, stars in it, does everything, you know, and that you know that wasn't where he was at with Lucky Louie, but with having that experience, I think he knew what he wanted to do, and boy, he does it so great now. It's just unbelievable. Now, in that show, were you allowed to improv? Did you have that that uh, lateral movement where you could improv a lot? Or wasn't a lot of that, you know. I mean, you know, it's you know, it's it's. A lot of the people on the show were, were stand-ups, you know. Um, stand-ups in general don't think other, or they look at the, it differently. You know, I was working as an improviser. I didn't do, I never done stand-up. And if you suggest something, you know, it's really not that funny to them. You know, it just doesn't, you know, it's it's like, you know, it's just. a bunch of dicks, these stand-ups. Well, I, I, I do stand I did stand-up yeah, for years. And yeah, but, but I mean, you know, but it's like, you know, they, they, they might, you know, they might comment and say, that's funny. You know, that's good, you know, but it's not like, you know, it's not like they're going to incorporate it, you know, right. it's going to, you know, because I mean, if they incorporated it, then somebody would uh, accuse them of stealing or something, right, right. you know? So you sort of like look at, they look at comedy from a sort of, with, with from a distant, cold-eyed view of it, you know, so so it was much more analytical than I, than I, than I thought. And also we had writers, a, st- a staff of writers, you know, and... And you have to be careful, you know, because, I mean, if everybody starts improvising and starts throwing things in and everything else, things can get out of control, you know. You know so it's, it's great to improvise, but there's not a lot of people that can do it correctly or, or, or do something that actually adds to the product, you know. So, and then, and so you could get lost in the cacophony of people trying to get their own lines in there, you know. So you got a, you got a job to do and a show to do. Now, because you have such a big, you have a long background history in improving. How do you, as an actor, what, I mean, and sometimes you can't do it, but does it frustrate you if you're in a scene and you know that the words are crap and that you know that you could improv the scene and take it to the next level, but you can't because you're not the writer and they don't want you to improv. Does that drive you crazy? Because when you sit there and you, because you're delivering a line and you know you better than anybody. And if there's like, let's say they go, you're supposed to say this and you're thinking in your mind, well, I could off the top of your head, if I said this, it would work better. What do you do in that situation when you can't say that? Does it drive you nuts? Well, there's a couple ways to do it. Probably, you know, if you're, if you're guesting on a show, you're probably better off to keep your mouth shut, you know. Uh, it's just they don't have time and, you know, they don't know who you are or anything else, you know, so you're probably better off just to, you know, save it for save it for some other show or, you know, put it in your back pocket and forget about it. If you're a regular on the show... You, you know, you've got a lot more, or if you're a principal in the, you know, in, in what you, what you're shooting and what you're doing, if uh, you know, if you've got a pretty low number on the uh, on the call sheet, you might be able to make some some suggestions, you know. But you know, you usually find out if you try to throw something in or or add something, you're, you're pretty much told where you stand pretty quickly, you know, as to whether or not that's accepted or or not, yeah. and. If you're working with somebody, that's why it's what's really wonderful, you know, in some of these films that they're making now where they have a team of people that work together all the time. I'm sure that they just throw ideas back and forth and shoot what works. You know, I'm sure that's what happened on films like Anchorman and things like that. You know, these are all people that know each other for years. They know their timings and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think it's kind of they go into a room and uh, shoot the scene, but then maybe they open it up and see if they can take it somewhere else. Now, because you have the long resume, what is one of the coolest places you've shot? Is, have you been in like, the location where you went, wow? Because I know you do a lot of TV and you do a lot of films. So TV a lot of times shoots in this area. And all. Right. But what's a really, has there been any place that you said went, holy crap, this is just awesome? 
Well, I, I was, I had the the dubious distinction of being in speed two, you know. So we we shot that down in St. Martin. Uh, that was that, that was pretty cool, you know. And Overboard was shot uh, up in Mendocino, and that was beautiful, you know. I mean, I think I preferred Mendocino to, uh, I mean, Mendocino was colder, but uh, just the sheer natural beauty up there uh, on Northern California coast was uh, just just brilliant. You know? St. Martin was kind of cool. We had a lot of time over on our hands, you know, d- down there, and uh, that was fun, you know. But uh, you know, but after you know, there is that island fever thing. If you're down there for a few weeks, and we were down there during hurricane season, so uh, you know, it was pretty rocky. But those two places stick out in my mind. Yeah, I got a chance to go to Ireland and shoot um, a small scene in this movie called Space Truckers for Stuart Gordon. Okay, and I did that. Basically, for, you know, that was just a free trip to Ireland. You know, I mean, I wasn't getting paid very much, and but it, you know, they they were willing to fly you over there. Or maybe I flew myself over there and got paid. But I figured, you know, it'd be fun to do something over there. Well, you said your uh, your grandparents were from Ireland, or your parents were from Ireland. Grandparents, okay. All, all four, all four of my grandparents. Now, had you been to Ireland before that? Uh, yeah, I'd gone. You know, but I didn't go over there until like 1989 for the first time, uh, and. Uh, and that was when the the, the the Celtic tiger hadn't hit yet, you know, which meaning which was a good thing for Ireland. But there was a lot of poverty over there then at that time. And then they sort of went through a pretty good period in the '90s, like the rest of the world. And then it crashed again, you know. But uh, but I I had been over there, yeah. You know what's funny about Ireland? And my girlfriend was there like two years ago, and and it's the old. There's always been the old stereotype, you know, corned beef and cabbage and right. potatoes. But she went there and she said. Culinary. This was two years ago. She said, culinary-wise, it's amazing. She said she had probably the best hamburger she's ever had oh, yeah. in her life in Ireland. But people don't think about that. They just think of the Guinness. They think of the beer. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you know. I suppose a lot of people think that way about a lot. You know. Yeah. I guess that they've they've come up. You know, a lot. They didn't do a lot of. You know, we never went out when I was a kid. We never went out for dinner. You know, always ate at home. That was that's why you had a home. And going out was something special, you know. Uh, Isn't that weird how it's changed? Like, yeah. Same with us. Like when we were kids, my parents would always go. I mean, they were they were married before my dad passed for fifty odd years. Right. Before he was sick. Oh, they that's great. It. But they would yeah. go out every first Saturday of every month. They go to a restaurant, and it was a big thing as a kid. We would give that. A, so they actually had a date night. Every yeah, yeah and I, we, yeah, well, I like that was a big thing when I was a little kid. Give them the entertainment book because it could get them two for one at a restaurant. And they had a card. It wasn't a coupon because my dad's like, I'm not using coupons. But when we went out, is you went out and you sat there and you behaved. And it was a treat. And it's like McDonald's. I don't know if they did this in Chicago, but if I got an A on my report card and I took that to McDonald's, you, they give you a cheeseburger. Is that right? Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's yeah. East, more of an East Coast thing. But we went and we were stoked when we were going to McDonald's. We were like, holy crap, this is McDonald's. Now kids are like, eh, McDonald's. Well, I remember when they, when they built the one. It was one 119th and Western. It was actually in Blue Island, you know, uh, on the south side. And I remember going up, you know, I remember, you know, uh, the place going up and there was, you know, like you know, it was a lot of buzz in the neighborhood about it and stuff. And I remember the first Burger King, my sister went in there and uh, she, you know, she embarrassed me. She asked for a whooper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> said, they're not whoopers, they're whoppers. You know, like, you know, she said, I don't care. I don't care what they are. It's amazing how big fast food has become. I mean, you know, and it's like yeah. for Miss, I mean, there was used to be a place called Gino's. Which was uh, the, the Philly cheesesteaks? No, not the Gino's. Not that one. Right, there was a right. Gino. There was a there was a football player on the Baltimore Colts named Gino Capaletti, right. and he started a hamburger place. I remember it was like Gino's, but then that became a uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken when Gino's he sold it or whatever. But when McDonald's, it was like there was you got 
a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a shake, or fries. That's it. And no one bitched. You know, everyone was right. happy. And now it's like, I don't want to get a salad at McDonald's. It's like, because I have to watch my sodium. And I'm like, right. well, if I go to McDonald's, well, I'm not going to go to McDonald's and get a salad. I'm going to make a salad at home. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably better off with a salad at home, too. Yeah. You know. I got in these things, smoothies, just recently, you know, and I actually dropped 17 pounds, you know, since the first of the year. And, uh, you know, I, I starts off with spinach and throw some strawberry in there and, and everything, you know, and, and a little cucumber or something. What's your machine? You what know? do you use? I uh, use the, not the, it's the Nutribullet. I use a Nutribullet, and yeah. it's so funny. Now, uh, I've had mine. I, I don't know why I wasn't doing it years ago. I mean, it's not bad, you it's know. It's I mean, good. You know, yeah. And the thing that bothers uh, me is... My, I've had problems with my Nutribullet. It was when I was going back and forth between here and back at Beast. I bought my girlfriend a Nutribullet. But one time my Nutribullet, the lid, the thing got stuck and I couldn't get it out. So I had to throw the whole Nutribullet, but I called and they shipped me the bottom part. Oh, that's cool. But my oh. engine is going. After like a year and a half, it starts going, it gets bad. Yeah, well, I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah, the gasket came off a little bit. But I mean, but I got to say, it, just one day, that's the only problem I've had with it. You know, I'm kind of amazed that even how easily it cleans up. You know, you just run some hot water in there. I don't even put, use soap. You oh, know, yeah. You just well, I, 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 bought it, a, you know. it's, I, I bought a juicer because they didn't right. have a Nutribullet. And I took it well, home. I'm sure it's a mess. Yeah, I made right one there. juice, right. and I was like, and this is like two years ago, I go, screw this, I want to go back and get the Nutribullet. So I backed it all up, and they're like, well, why are you returning it? And I said, because the top doesn't fit under my uh, kitchen cabinet. And I got the Nutribullet, and it's you're right, it's so easy. I just get there, I spinach kale just throw it in there you throw and and they taste good and this stuff you know spinach and kale is something that you, it's really hard to get into me i mean you know that i would you know i mean and, and uh i throw a little strawberry and blueberry and you know maybe an apple or something in there now you're getting all that stuff plus you're getting the spinach you know so i mean you know they're I th- good i think it's great yeah. now so you do it every day so what made you decide that so you, you said you know you said you lost 17 pounds yeah did you mm-hmm. sit there what made you decide did you say i need to lose weight for for rolls oh, or just no, for I, your I, health or were you were you just were you sitting there going like, I, I gotta start eating were you a bad eater both of those things I, I i quit smoking a few years ago you know and uh i gained 50 pounds you know and i haven't taken it off you know not, not all of it anyways you know uh I just realized that I, you know, that I have to renew my driver's license next year, and it's, you know, it's, I was probably pressing it a little bit back then, but I'm 50 pounds heavier than that now, so I just have to, you know, I got to lose it, you know. I mean, I just, I just do. Now, uh, do you, you know. feel better? Uh, yeah, I suppose I do. I'm swimming again too, you know, which is, is really cool, you know. I mean, uh, go over to the Y. We're right here in Burbank, you know. I go Burbank Y a little bit, but mostly I go over to the. East Valley, and uh, yeah, it makes a big difference. You know, I mean, you know, yeah, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta keep active. You just gotta, you gotta keep moving. And uh, I don't do enough of that. All I do is walk the dog and swim. You know, it's good though. You know, that's all right. Yeah. So okay, we're gonna talk about acting. You were in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. Now, I think when that show came out, I, I don't know if people thought it was gonna be. Well, I don't think people thought it would win an, uh, an Emmy. I mean, it's just, and it's got a great cast. Andrew right. Brar, Andrew Brar is one of the most underrated actors I mean just uh, you know sure, he's yeah, great yeah. and since Homicide I've been watching absolutely him. what was that set like because it seemed like it'd be a very fun set and it seems like you know Sandberg's known from Saturday Night Live but it's not and people know uh, Terry Crews but it's not it wasn't a lot of people who were well known that must have been refreshing to work on yeah it was great you know they they, they were great to me you know I mean I only did two of them you know they called me up for a third but uh, it, anyways you know but you know but I was happy to get the two and I'm Playing uh, Captain McGintley, I believe is his name is, and he was the he was the captain before Andre Bauer's character took over. So he's kind of 
the uh, uh, not the bad captain. He was just, you know, obviously just either burnt out or lazy or something. And I only have one line in these things, you know. I, it, but it was funny, and uh, and they would call me in at 10 o'clock. You know, they're using my time really well. They would call me in at 10 o'clock in the morning, and, get, and I'd be out by tw- 12, you know oh, wow. I mean? You know, so, and because it was just, they would just call you in for, literally almost call you up when they were set up and ready to shoot it, you know. And it was just, uh, the gag was simply, no matter what they were doing out there in the uh, in the squad room, uh, the captain would come out uh, presumably upset, and they would explain to him whatever it was, and he just would say, oh, okay, and walk back into his uh, little cubbyhole. So that's kind of an example of what was going on before Andre Bauer's character hit. And, uh, you know, it, it was great, and they were... They're, you know, they, they. It was the pilot and the first or second episode, I think, that they brought me in. So it was a flashback uh, to the time before the new captain arrived. So whether they go back to that well or not, it, you know, sort of remains to be seen. But I'd, I'd love it if they did, and I'd love to be just come out of there and just say that one line. And for go. ten more times. <laughs> well, and you're a mob city too. So now, was yeah. that, was that your, well, I know you were on Crime Story ages ago, which was, yeah, that was what that you know that was that might have been my first television experience. And that was yeah. a great show too. Oh yeah, so I mean, well, I worked with the great Dennis Farina on that one. I mean, oh man, that you know, it's always sad when somebody passes away. When Dennis passed away, that really hurt. How about with Mob City? What was that yeah. like? Because you're playing a mobster. I mean, you're playing. Did you do you like the dramas? I mean, do you like playing like you're a bad guy? Like everyone I know who says they play it when they play like because I mean your character was he was he a mean guy? Oh, Mob City? No, no, he was just you know you didn't get to know this guy very well. I mean, they were you know there was only six episodes. Uh, I was only in five of them. I was killed in the fifth. I can say that now, you know, because you know the show's off the air and not giving anything away, but. Um, you know, no, he wasn't a bad guy. Yeah, you know, I sort of looked at him as my grandfather was a, a Chicago policeman, and that's what he did when he came over. And uh, he was a guy about my size, and uh, so I sort of took the clock back because it was 1947, and this guy was near retirement, so this guy would have been my grandfather's age at, uh, that I am now okay. at, in 1947. So I just used him in my head anyways and as a, as kind of a role model, you know, I'm mean, or... or or an idea of who he was, you know. Um, so I mean, actually, I mean, you know, uh, why, well, you know, he gets killed in the end there, but I, uh, it was, you know, I just used him, you know, as as that, and they, the people working on that were were again terrific. I mean, you have so many people that, you know, you, you so many people involved in a in a production like that. I mean, you know, you know, for that that make their living off of it, that put their kids through school and everything else. It's just it's tr- it's sad when something doesn't get picked up, but to some people, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it, that's devastating for them. You know, not so much for the actors because I mean, it frees you up to uh, to do something else. But you know, just the craft service people and the technicians and everything else. I mean, chances are they'll find something else too. But boy, it's it, it would be nice to have something that would go for a, for a long period of time. Now we have about five minutes. Were you when you were killed? Was it an on scene kill? Yeah. So what's that? Yeah. Like? Oh, that was great. You know, I mean, that was you know because you don't like I was saying earlier. We do a lot of com- you do a lot of comedy. You know, and there's not a lot of uh, you know uh, getting killed in comedy. Although you know some people would disagree with that. But uh, yeah, they, they squid me up, and uh, there was a big death scene, and you know, and I got to uh, you know to act uh, you know with as if. I was, you know, my lungs were were busted and I couldn't get my breath and I, it was kind of 
cool about it was that uh, it was actually written in the script where uh, because of my weight and my girth, I couldn't get to my pistol, which was, you know, on my other side. So I was reaching over there as I'm trying to breathe, and I can't get to it because I'm a fat ass, you know. So I can't get to the gun, and that, and consequently that uh, ends up uh, being the end of Fat Jack. Now, with a squibbing, is it one take or nothing? I mean, or, or do you sit there? Okay, well, they sure would like, I mean, yeah, we did it in one take, you know, and that's the ideal, you know. I mean, they have they have costumes nearby, you know, but, uh, you know, you want to get it in one take. That's, you know, I mean, you really do. No, yeah, it's it's sticky stuff in the blood and all that st- and everything, you know, and you want to make it look as good as you can. And what's kind of nice about the squibs is that they actually put a little charge, uh, you know, underneath your shirt, between your shirt and your skin, and it gives you something to play off of. I mean, it's not like, you know, you don't feel it. It's not, but it's not like, obviously not like being shot. But, you know, you're standing there and you're feeling nothing, and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, it, it gives you something to play. You know, so it's fun. So what's coming up now? Anything anything uh, coming up in the in foreseen future? Uh, no, I'm, I'm out there auditioning. Anybody wants to hire me, you know, that's great. You know, I've... Um, it's uh, it takes a little while for the for the wheels to get into motion after the first of the year. Everybody sort of takes the time off, and you know things are starting to hit their stride right now. I guess there are some pilots being made. This is uh, the end of what used to be, like we said earlier, pilot season. But there's uh, there's some things out there, you know, but nothing specific. Now, do you miss the improv at all? Like getting on stage, an old feeling, or is that something that's just in your past and you're like, I don't want to go back to it? Well, I can do it. You know, there's a lot of guys that do it all the time that that, that find their ways down to the Second City or the Improv Olympics and uh, uh, or the I.O. and do it uh, on a weekly basis. Sometimes some people do it on a nightly basis. Uh, I don't, you know, have to do that. You know, I don't, you know, it's, I mean, I enjoy it when I get the opportunity to, but I don't pursue it. Uh, you know, it's the highs are incredibly high, the lows are incredibly low, you know, and I sort of know that I can do it. And if I had to do it, I, you know, if I had to do it or if, or if I wanted to do it, I could do it, but I don't really chase it. And I, I know when we mailed back and forth about you coming on the show, your wedding anniversary is coming up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how many years? We got married in St. Patrick's Day. It'll be 13 years. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm actually, yeah. I just, I, my friends got married. They live in Ventura. He's actually a, a detective. And I yeah. set them up, and they got married on St. Patty's Day in Ventura on the beach a few years ago. And it was just one of those days where the wind, it was just freezing in California. Yeah. And I just talked to them last night. I'm actually going up next, uh, the Sunday. I'm driving up there on a party. But it's just, the St. Patrick's Day's weddings are just, they're fun. Well, the weddings are great. It's a great day to have a wedding. It's a really bad day to have an anniversary, though. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> yes. so just you know, trying to get you, all you uh, Irish people out there that are thinking about St. Patrick's Day, just remember that you know, it sort of takes away the holiday for you, you know, but because it turns into an anniversary and you gotta, you know, so. But uh, the the having the day of is 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 terrific. You know, it was a great great time. We had a lot of people come in from Chicago. Did you get married out here? Yeah, we got married out here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a lot of people come in from uh it was great you know it was great you know it's uh and my wife mary Catherine is uh just a wonderful person she takes care of me well, that's Ma- good makes makes me smoothies that's what's good i want to thank you for coming on mike it was uh good to meet you yeah, I, Steve. I, I love these chicago people you know it's like I'm, i have an, they're just you guys have such all have such great stories and just it, it's it's really just the the careers you've had have been awful. Well, awesome. great, great. Well, you, awesome. you made it very comfortable, and uh, thanks for and everything. Are you? Do you tweet? Do you tweet? 
No, I don't do that. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm you know, I, I Facebook a little bit, you know, and and, and and that's. I think I'll keep my comments just to Facebook, you know, because I'm amongst amongst friends. I don't want to get myself into trouble. Well, I want to thank you again, right. and uh, people follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Uh, follow me. I tweet some funny stuff. I try to at least type some funny stuff. Uh, go to my website, CooperTalk.net. There's about 235 episodes up. Also, if you have an Android phone, uh, Google Play Store, there's a Cooper Talk app. You can listen to my shows on your smartphone or tablet, and also iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Type in one word, Cooper Talk. Also, please email me, Cooper at Indy 100. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. And remember, every Tuesday at Jimmy's Place, right here in Burbank, crappy comedy night. I host it. I bring some great acts. So come out and have fun. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, take your vitamins, eat your vegetables, have a good day.